1: A 2% day for the S&P. First time we've seen that type of move in a year. That's the scorecard on Wall Street. Record closes for the Dow and S&P after NVIDIA's strong earnings report right here on Overtime yesterday. The action, though, is just getting started, and we have more earnings coming up this hour. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan with John Ford. And
2: we are awaiting those key earnings from Block, Intuit, uh, Booking Holdings, and more. We're going to hear from the CEO of Intuit before he speaks to analysts. Plus, I spoke with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang after the earnings call yesterday, got some answers on growth that he didn't share with the analysts. We'll bring you the highlights of that conversation coming up. And, Morgan, that was just such a big report in overtime yesterday. I think technology was the only sector in the red yesterday, and now, you know, today it closes up. Let me take a look here. Um, four and a third percent For the day, Uh, you know, NVIDIA leading on that count. And right behind it, well, right ahead of it, Supermicro up 32%. So that happened, back up near 1,000 a share. But behind it, you've got CrowdStrike up 6%. It was trading down in sympathy with Palo Alto Networks and sort of that security trade, even though its earnings had been pretty good. CrowdStrike's earnings had been pretty good. And now you see it bouncing back today.
1: Yeah. SMH, the semiconductor ETF, Record high, NVIDIA, a record high. Every sector in the S&P in the green, except for utilities, it was risk-on today. Let's bring Bob Pisani back in so we can talk about these records that we just hit again for both the S&P and the Dow. And, Bob, the fact that the Nasdaq, we didn't get a new record close for the Nasdaq composite, but, boy, are we inching closer.
3: It doesn't. I, I think that we're going to do that, and I'm not at all concerned about it. And we've, Scott and I were just talking about this. The NVIDIA earnings was a transformative moment yesterday because it put the naysayers to rest. Uh, I was just at the ETF conference two weeks ago, and the big talk was, "What is the? we have to figure out a way to diversify out of the magnificent seven, because if we don't, the downturn, the investors are going to kill us and blame us for being over-concentrated. There is a reason now, and everyone sees, why these stocks are going getting such huge earnings growth, huge cash flows, and they're justifying their valuations at this point. So I think this was a very transformative moment, and the stock market is saying that today. You Look, we did have a good day in the market, but uh, 8 to 5 advancing to declining stocks is not overwhelming. It was chip stocks, as you mentioned, with the semiconductor ETF, as well as some big software companies that really pushed us over the top, and not just on the NASDAQ, but on the S&P 500. So I think we're in a transformative moment, and I still think Look at NVIDIA, 30 times forward earnings. That is not outlandish for a company that's putting up the cash flow and the earnings growth that NVIDIA is putting up.
2: All right, Bob, uh, stay with us for a moment. Intuit earnings are out. Speaking of big software companies, this market cap is up near the $200 billion mark. The initial move is down uh, about, uh, you know, 3-4 percent. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the revenues came in just about in line, $3.39 billion uh, versus that was about what was expected. EPS. For fiscal Q2 came in better than expected at $2.63 versus $2.30 expected. The guide is where people might have some trouble. The intuit guiding to a Q3 EPS of $9.34, 34 and a half cents at the midpoint versus $9.69 expected revenue growth. Uh, the guide for revenue growth, 10 to 11 percent versus 9.7 percent expected. The full year revenue guide uh, is affirmed. It is in line. EPS guide is $15.89 to $16.10 and a half cents. I did have a chance to speak with Sasan Gadars. you will get more into this in just a bit. But here's what it is, Morgan, uh, when it comes to earnings per share and costs they're spending on marketing ahead of tax season and right. turbo tax the last couple quarters of the year they outperformed on eps The first couple quarters, including this Q2 reported, now they're going to spend that in the back half of the year. He's saying overall, he says he feels good about the business. We'll get more detail on that. Small business continuing to perform. Small business is outperforming their unit, outperforming the overall U.S. economy because small businesses are seeing the need for software to be efficient in challenging uh, operating circumstances. But uh, these are the numbers we have. We'll have a little bit more detail on that from Sasan coming up.
1: Yeah. And of course, that's a key takeaway, right? It sounds like company making investments that are affecting guidance rather than a reflection of macro economic picture and what that means for small businesses. Uh, looking forward to that. We've got booking holdings earnings out. Pippa Stevens has those numbers. Pippa. Hey, Morgan, it's a top and bottom line beat for booking holdings. The company earning an adjusted $32 per share. That was ahead of the estimate of $29.86. Revenue at $478 billion. That was slightly ahead of estimates as well. Now, the company did uh, initiate an eight dollar and 75 cents per share quarterly dividend. They also said that total bookings were 31.7 billion. That was up 16 percent from the year ago quarter. Did mention that their business in Israel was significantly impacted by the war. The stock down three and a half percent today, although it did hit right now, I should say, although it did hit a record high in regular trading. Morgan. All right. Pippa Stevens, thank you. Shares are down more than 3 percent. Let's bring in Samir Samana of Wells Fargo Investment Institute. He joins us now. Bob Pisani still with us. Samir, I want to get your thoughts on this torrid rally that we have seen in stocks really since the end of October. I mean, the S&P has gained more than 22 percent just since then. And yes, we've seen yields on treasuries fall over that time period as well. But those have started to tick back up recently, too. And yet here we are at record highs for the S&P and the Dow.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. But I think those yields that are taking back up will work with a little bit of a lag. And clearly they're going up at a lot slower pace than they came down. So I think that really is the key, though. I think those rates will filter higher as we talk more and more about, you know, whether rates should stay where they are, whether rates should be hiked, as opposed to whether rates should be cut aggressively. And I think that's where the disappointment lies in the coming months.
1: Mm. Uh, Bob, you touched on it before, and I want to get back to it. And that's the broadening out of this rally. We've been talking about it. We've been analyzing it. We've been chewing it over uh, with so many guests on our air. Today is one of those days where it is, again, Magnificent Seven and the tech names that are driving this rally. But we do have green on the screen for some of these other sectors and some of these other indexes, like the Russell 2000 as well, albeit maybe not the gains we see in the NASDAQ.
3: No, And there are small groups of stocks, at GE, uh, Waste Management, JP Morgan, uh, Home Depot, American Express, uh, Visa, uh, that have been moving up regularly. So you're right, it's not just tech stocks. But I think we need to address and be a little bit more comfortable with the concentration risk. Everyone has been freaked out about the fact that 30% of the S&P 500 valuation is the Magnificent Seven. And if you throw in the top 10 stocks, add in Berkshire and, and, and Lilly and Broadcom, it's about 33%. That's historically on the high side, but it's happened many times, and people need to understand that. This is what you get when you have market cap weighted indexes. The winners get. Very heavily concentrated. This happened in the 1960s with the nifty 50 stocks, IBM and Polaroid and Xerox. There, there was over 30% concentration at that time. It happened in the late 90s when we had the dot com and the internet uh, uh, explosion. Uh, there was 30% or so. Uh, so it's happened before. Obviously, if you get some quick correction like we had in 2022, those stocks that moved up the most are going to get hit. But with these kinds of earnings that we're seeing driven by AI, these valuations arguably are certainly justifiable. And so I think people need to get a little more comfortable with this. Oh, we can't handle 30% of the S&P in just 10 stocks.
2: All right, Bob Bazzani, thank you. Okay. I know you got to run. Uh, meanwhile, Live Nation earnings are out. Julia Borston's with us with those. Julia.
0: Hey John, Live Nation reporting a massive revenue beat, $5.84 billion in revenue versus the $4.79 billion that was estimated. That beat of a billion dollars uh, more than expected was fueled by a billion dollar beat in concert revenues, $4.9 billion versus the $3.8 billion estimated that tops even the highest street estimates. But the stock is trading down after hours. The company does not report earnings per share, but its adjusted operating income was a bit light, $116.9 million versus the $118.7 million. That was a street account estimate. And concerts posted a bigger than expected operating loss of $184 million versus the $167 million that was estimated. And that may be what is weighing on shares right now because the company did share a strong outlook with ticket sales in the first month and a half of this year, up 6% as of mid-February, the company noting strong demand across the Price points, also saying that 75% of sponsorship books so far is up double digits, and that they have a growing show pipeline um, with confirmed shows and large venues up double digits, um, with that growth led by arenas and amphitheaters. Now, they do say they expect profitability to compound by double digits over the next several years, but that stock down over 4.5%. We will be talking about this with Live Nation uh, CEO Michael Rapino. That's coming up tomorrow in the 1 p.m. hour. Okay, Julia, yet.
2: so ahead of this, and, and forgive me, this is an esoteric question, so I don't expect you to know the answer to this. But with the ticket prices as high as they are, and I know not everybody is Taylor Swift, how are they not making money? Is it, is it payroll? Is it security that they have to pay for? Are, are venues more expensive than they used to be? I do not understand how you can be, be pulling in that much revenue above expectations and miss on profit.
0: Well, look there are various operating costs here um, that it seems like are on the rise and that certainly is putting pressure on the bottom line um now it looks like the stock is down just half a percent in after hours so it seems like the the street may be digesting uh some of that big top line beat but we will dig into all of this with michael Rapino. i'm sure he'll be able to lay it out for us but yes Ticket prices are up. The attendance is up. The numbers are through the roof. Last year was a record year for Live Nation. So the question is, why was that operating loss uh, larger than anticipated? We'll right. dig into that tomorrow.
2: That's why we got to watch the interview. Julia, thank you. Uh, Samir Samana, uh, back to you on this one. I know that you're saying that equities might be a bit stretched, but after a day like we had, you don't want investors trying to time the market. So what's the strategy that you go into with this market different from what you might have had in uh, the beginning? of the year, end of 2023, that gets you uh, to the balance that you're talking about?
4: Sure. So I think you'll get opportunities like you did in October of last year, like you did at the very start of this year. I think tech was you know oversold for for about a week or two there, and you mentioned yesterday it was the worst performer on the day. So I think you can have to take those opportunities, those pullbacks, to try and position some of these long-term secular growers. But we also like areas like industrials, like energy, like materials, like healthcare, um, the ones that have maybe kind of been left behind because it has been maybe a little too easy, and some of these you know a few kind of handful of names with acronyms I, I shall not name. Um, so I think. Once you, you kind of get away from these trades and they do kind of exhaust themselves, we think some of those other areas will kind of pick up the baton. I think the other thing, too, is as you get closer to the elections, there'll be a source of you know, volatility. So I think you'll get better opportunities, you know, at the market level, um, probably, you know, as you get closer to the election to, to kind of pick up equities more broadly.
1: How much of this hinges on a soft landing scenario? And I ask that on a day where initial and I realize we're coming off of a holiday weekend, but initial jobless claims came in below estimates. Continuing claims also light. Flash PMI is maybe a little more mixed, but manufacturing showing some signs of stabilization. Existing home sales showing some green shoots, too. I mean, how if we were to get a no landing scenario and thus perhaps the Fed holding higher for longer, does that change the thesis here?
4: I think that's exactly it, right? So if all of those things happen economically, I think you see inflation probably living closer to 3% than 2%, which is what the Fed says they want. And then I think you see possibly no cuts um, as opposed to even the two to three that the Fed currently sees. So I think that's the part of the Goldilocks scenario that at least right now seems most dubious to us right now.
1: Okay. Samir Samana, thanks for joining
5: us. Thank you. Square earnings are out. Kate Rooney has the numbers. Hi, Kate. No. Hey, Morgan. Yes, it was a beat here on the top line for Block, formerly Square. We're not going to compare the earnings number, but there does appear to be a pretty big impairment charge that's weighing on that EPS number. Revenue, though, was stronger than expected. 5.77 billion that was boosted by Bitcoin revenue, which came in at 2.5 billion dollars. Bitcoin gross profit, meanwhile, which is how the company measures it, was up 90 percent. Adjusted EPS. 46 cents. I did speak to the Block CFO Amrita Hooja. She told me this was due to a write-down on their investment in Title. That is Jay-Z's music streaming company that Square acquired back in 2021. It was a $132 million impairment charge. Amrita Hooja is saying, quote, it reflects our latest thinking about the landscape in the broader streaming industry, which informs the current value of assets. She does say that does not change the long-term vision for what they think they can build with Title, but a quarterly impairment there. Adjusted EBITDA guidance stronger than expected square is raising its full year profit guidance cfo telling me that was thanks to a lot of cost cutting that we've seen she as she put it as we head into next year a lot of the discipline around operating expenses will continue which wall street wants to see also a quote in here from the founder and ceo uh, jack dorsey about focusing more on u.s markets and monetizing existing customers when it comes to cash app so that does mark a little bit of a strategic change strong quarter for cash app $3.9 $3.9 billion in revenue there, up 31% year over year. That's really been a growth engine for them. Subscription and service uh, revenue, services-based revenue, up 36%. And then strong growth in buy now, pay later, guys. You can see shares up more than 13% here, likely due to some of that cost cutting and optimization and the uh, higher guidance there. Back over to you.
2: Yeah, quite a move. Uh, getting back toward those highs. Kate, thanks. Carvana earnings are out. Phil LeBeau has those numbers. Phil?
6: John, this is a miss on the top and the bottom line with the company uh, losing $1 per share in the fourth quarter. The estimate was for a loss of 89 cents a share. Revenue coming in lighter than expected at $2.42 billion. The street expecting revenue of $2.52 billion. So you might be saying to yourself, wait a second, why is the stock up more than 12% if they missed on the top of the bottom line? The guidance, while it's not super specific here, it is relatively optimistic both in terms of the first quarter and full year. In the first quarter, they expect the units sold to be up slightly year over year compared to the first quarter of last year. And for the full year, they do expect to grow the number of retail units that are sold, as well as increase the adjusted earnings this year. But again, not specific in terms of how much. So again, Carvana, despite missing on the top and the bottom line, up now almost 12%. Guys, back to you.
2: All right, Phil, thanks. Up next, we're breaking down Intuit's results. That stock is slightly lower in overtime. Let's see, it's down uh, just under 2%. I caught up with the CEO, Sasan Ghadarzi, ahead of the earnings call. I'm going to bring you some highlights after the break, plus highlights from my one-on-one with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang following that company's blockbuster earnings report. Overtime's back in two. Welcome back. Intuit stock trading down, you can see, about 2%, but off the lows after trading up 3% today. I I spoke with Intuit CEO Sasan Ghadarzi a few minutes ago about these results and specifically asked about the EPS guide that's light of consensus.
7: Q1 and Q2, uh, we beat quite handily uh, in our operating income. And uh, part of that is platform uh, leverage. The other part of that is some just puts and takes on expenses. many of which we're putting to use uh, this quarter. So uh, net net, I think strong guidance for the quarter, and we've reiterated the year of 11 to 12%, and we're, we're looking forward to delivering for our customers. So should
2: I read marketing spend into that? Because I mean, TurboTax and, and, you know, making sure with all the uncertainties that people are funneled toward that product, which is having
7: a very important quarter, is that some of where that spend is going? That That is for sure an element of it. Because at the end of the day, we manage uh, margins and expenses at the company level. We're always making puts and takes to make sure that we're not only investing for today, but investing for, for tomorrow. And again, because Q3 is such a big quarter for us, uh, we ensure that we have the, the the program dollars and the marketing dollars for the quarter, uh, along with some other puts and takes. So that's the way you should think about it. But the net net is we feel very good about the year. We feel very good about the the quarter and just putting our uh, investments to use. I also asked
2: about small businesses, such a huge part of Intuit's customer base. Sasan told me post-pandemic, they're turning more to AI-enabled software.
7: What you see in our numbers is a reflection of uh, a wave of digitization by small businesses, uh, not the strength of the economy. Uh, in, in fact, you know, when I spend time uh, with small businesses, the, the biggest thing that they are focused on right now is Uh, How do I ensure I'm organized? How do I get paid faster? How do I get access uh, to capital? Uh, How do I make sure I'm more effective with my marketing campaigns to retain customers and get more customers? And a lot of those capabilities is what we provide um, on our platform. It's all in one place. And based on all the data that I know about you and our AI capabilities, we're able to automate a lot of that so you can focus on the insights and recommendations versus uh, doing the work.
2: You can catch the full interview ahead of the call with Sasan Ghadarzi on our Overtime LinkedIn page. QR code right there. You can get there and you can follow us for even more exclusive content. And there is a lot of it.
1: All right. Looking forward to downloading the rest of that then. News of Reddit's IPO breaking in the last hour. Julia Borston is here with the details. Julia.
0: Morgan Reddit filing its S1 to list on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker RDDT, revealing its finances, $804 million in annual sales for 2023. That's up 20% from the $667 million it brought in the previous year. The company reporting a net loss of $91 million last year compared to a net loss of $159 million the year prior. Now, the company's average revenue per user was $3.42. That was a 2% year-over-year decline uh, from $3.49 the prior year. The company saying it has 73 million daily active unique users, 267.5 million weekly actives, and that it's reserved approximately 1.3 million shares of its Class A common stock to fund community-related programs, outlining its current ad business, saying users see Reddit as a trustworthy place to inform purchase decisions, also saying they have an emerging business in data licensing and a future business in the user economy, which will include e-commerce. Now, among Reddit's risk factors, the company warns that given its high brand recognition and its own subreddit, Bets, which drove a lot of volat- volatility in GameStop, that GameStop, um, that the Wall Street bets and other retail investors could cause quote extreme volatility in Reddit stock for reasons unrelated to its underlying business. John, that's kind of a meta risk factor.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. We'll, we'll see if they have diamond hands over there when it comes to the stock. Uh, now we're getting some news on Capital One and Discover. Kate Rooney has that. Kate.
5: Hey, John. So Capital One's proposed deal for Discover Financial includes a 1.38 billion-dollar breakup fee. But that is only if Discover decides to go with another buyer. There is no breakup fee if U.S. regulators kill the deal. This is according to sources familiar with the matter, telling our CNBC's Hugh Sun over on Digital. Discover cannot actively solicit alternative offers, according to these sources, but it can entertain proposals from other bidders before shareholders vote on that transaction. In the unlikely event, that Discover does decide to go with another offer. It would essentially owe Capital One $1.4 billion, roughly. That does align with typical breakup fees in bank deals between 3% and 4% of a total transaction value, value, according to some of those sources. There's a lot of interest in whether bank regulators are going to let this deal happen. They have blocked other deals, of course, on antitrust grounds. But again, no breakup fee. If the deal is killed by regulators, you can check out the full story on CNBC.com for more reporting by our Hugh Son, Back over to you.
1: Yeah, which I think is a very telling stipulation, and this is gonna be a real litmus test for uh, the regulatory environment in a time where M&A is beginning to perk back up again. Kate Rooney, thank you. Up next, block shares higher in overtime after reporting just a few moments ago. We're gonna hear from an analyst, Dan Dolev, with his first take on the quarter and what he's forecasting for the rest of the fintech space this year. That's coming up after the break. Over time, we'll be right back.
7: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act, made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP, to help make sure her income lives as long as she does, and she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org/skills.
2: Welcome back. Shares of Block are surging after posting an earnings beat. And joining us now on set to discuss Dan Dolov. From Mizuho, I think this is another one of your correct calls, yes? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know, just want just to give you some props there. Season. What What was the biggest upside surprise here in this? Last time we checked, I think it was up like 13%. I don't know if that's holding. Yeah, we'll I think with also. the
6: market, it's been a, it's a great quarter. I know there's been some misses and some beats, but what I want to focus on is a couple things. Uh, the monetization rate, sequentially up five basis points. That's huge. Hmm. So it's how much they can get um, – charge people on the cash app as a percent of volumes. It's at one four one four eight versus 143 before. Inflows are really strong sequentially up. So people are flowing more money into the cash app and they're guiding EBITDA higher than the high number that they guided before. So kind of checking, you know, all the marks here. It looks really good.
2: Five, 10 years ago, Venmo was the thing that young people were, you know, using for digital money. Uh, cash app has sort of taken over. Why is Cash App a better model than Venmo? Because I, I know you don't like PayPal, which owns Venmo, and the idea is that there's very little business structure around Venmo. Why is Cash App
6: different? I think there's more focus, and it's more viral, and it's kind of sexier, right? So they've, they've turned it, Jack Dorsey turned it into a really sexy product. There's you know, music, you know, music uh, that bears a Cash App name, et cetera. So people like it, and uh, it sort of naturally grows. You don't need to advertise, and that's what makes it so great.
1: I mean, the company is raising full-year profit guidance. Uh, we know there's been, there's been a lot of cost-cutting at this company, and it sounds like, based on the CFO comments that were given to Kate Rooney, um, that financial discipline is, is set to continue. How much can this company, I guess, continue to pull these levers to realize greater profitability in this environment?
6: There's a ton more. So if you go back to their 2017 analyst day, they could do like 40 45 50% adjusted EBITDA margin. So way higher than what they're forecasting right now. So the, the machine has the opportunity to generate really, really high margins once you get the scale.
1: Bitcoin. Uh, we're gonna talk about it. Jack Dorsey, sort of one of one of the one of the fathers or proselytizers um, of the cryptocurrency. Uh, it's in the results again here. How to think about that uh, where this company is concerned especially as things like profitability start to take on greater significance.
6: Yeah, it's, it's a great story, but it doesn't, it used to be very correlated with Bitcoin and it sort of lost that correlation if we go back to like 2018, 2019. So for anyone that's kind of bullish on Coinbase, because of the Bitcoin correlation, you know, look at what happened to Square. So it's a great story, but it doesn't drive the story anymore. So what drives it is Profitability, inflows, all the products in the Cash App, as you mentioned, those are the things that make you know, Square so great. What about Afterpay?
2: Uh, I'm reading some places that downloads have slowed down faster than other buy now, pay later uh, offerings. So um, is there trouble there in their being able to build a customer base and the right kind of volume and, and data knowledge that they'll need for that to be successful?
6: Yeah, undoubtedly, it's, I would say, the weaker a weaker link. Here in this whole story. It's not the best part of the story, and I, I still have to dig through the numbers, but you're seeing companies like a firm, which you know, which I like a lot. Like the, the execution gap has gotten really wide. But you know, there's you know, it's 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 okay to be not the number one in a great secular story. Mm.
1: All right, Dan Doloff, thanks for joining us.
6: Thank you.
8: It's time now for CNBC News Update with Bertha Coombs. Bertha, Morgan. President Joe Biden had an unscheduled meeting with Alexei Navalny's widow and daughter earlier this afternoon in California. The White House said Biden told Navalny's widow that his administration would announce new sanctions against Russia tomorrow in response to her husband's death. AT&T says service has been restored for all customers affected by its earlier outage. Customers were unable to send texts, make calls, or even contact emergency services for much of the day. The FBI, Homeland Security, and the FCC are investigating, but the company says the cause was not immediately clear. And former talk show host Wendy Williams has been diagnosed with the same type of dementia as actor Bruce Willis, according to a statement from Williams' caretakers. Williams has been transparent about her health problems, ending her show back in 2022 after being diagnosed with Graves' disease and lymphoedema. Back to you.
1: All right. Bertha Coombs, thank you. Up next, NVIDIA shares shooting higher today. CEO Jensen Huang Giving us an inside look at last night's report, what he had to say about the quarter, the future of the company's growth, and so much more with this tipping point in generative AI. Can't wait to hear it on the other side of this break, John. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back. NVIDIA was the story of the regular session today after the earnings report was the story of overtime yesterday. After the analyst call, I spent some time on the phone with CEO Jensen Huang talking about whether growth can continue from here. I asked how AI apps like OpenAI's Sora, which generates video from text prompts, will drive demand.
9: The ability to go from words and scenarios to describe uh, video that is generated, these models all require enormous and enormous infrastructure to train because you're training not from words, but you're training by watching video literally. Uh, You're going to see a lot more modalities of these. You're going to see text with images, with sound, with uh, video all being trained at the same time. And so today, notice most of the most of the videos are silent, uh, but in the future, uh, the words and the video will be registered perfectly, and, and uh, not only will you generate uh, video, you'll generate the associated and, and appropriate sounds that go along with it, uh, and vice versa.
2: I also asked him about this idea out there that the AI marketplace is about to shift from training AI models to using them, what's referred to in the industry as inferencing. Some competitors have suggested that when that happens, NVIDIA will lose some share. Jensen said, not necessarily.
9: The goal of inference is application reach. It's no different than the goal of writing an application for a mobile device is application reach. You, you you prefer a phone with the largest install base. It is fundamentally the reason why Apple is so successful. In our case, inference, anybody who's developing an application to run inference, is gonna prefer Nvidia first. And the reason for that is because the CUDA install base is so large. It is the only acceleration platform that has a giant install base. It is in every single cloud. It is growing incredibly fast and it's available on-prem or in the cloud. It's available all the way out to the edge for robotic systems. And so this architecture being so pervasive and because we have the discipline of protecting it and maintaining it for 30 years, this architecture is now literally everywhere. And if you are somebody who is developing an application for inference, targeting NVIDIA gives you the largest possible reach.
2: And finally, software, I mentioned this on Overtime yesterday, that while it's natural to think of NVIDIA as a chip company, the moat that protects its ecosystem is software. I asked Jensen about NVIDIA AI Enterprise, which is a services business at about a billion dollar annual run rate, where NVIDIA is helping customers keep their AI software optimized for NVIDIA's platforms. Similar to Apple's App Store driven services business that grows with the iPhone and iPad installed base, he says he sees big potential
9: for most of the enterprises and enterprise software companies, they simply don't have the large and deep expertise in accelerated computing at this point. And so we'll do it for everybody. We'll optimize it for everybody. We'll create these stacks for everybody and with everybody, and we'll make it run in every single cloud for everybody. And the way that we monetize it is through this engine, this NVIDIA AI Enterprise engine, which is essentially an operating system for NVIDIA's AIs and NVIDIA's Enterprise and and acceleration algorithms. And you pay for it per GPU per year, just like an operating system, and you can run everything that NVIDIA creates and enables. And so as we grow into enterprise, as we grow into enterprise software, as we grow out to the edge, this is going to be a very, very significant opportunity for us.
2: And so, Morgan, between Sora and apps like that, inference and services, you can build a case, at least Jensen did, for continued growth.
1: Yeah, he certainly makes the case right there in, in his interview with you. I mean, Just the fact that I've seen so many Wall Street and investor notes today talking about AI inference, I think, kind of tells the story, to your point. I mean, that's not a word that was being thrown around by... Investors in a bigger, broader way, even 24 hours ago. I'm curious what he had to say about some of the new product launches that are coming, like the new AI chip B100, which I realize maybe we get more on next month at their (laughs) special event, Um, and about demand still outpacing supply and the fact that it's not even just companies, but it's it's nations as well that are looking for these chips.
2: He did talk quite a bit about that on the call. Um, He didn't get into the product stuff. That, as you mentioned, will come at GTC. I really wanted to get to that growth story issue, because Mm -hmm. that's the question so many people have had. It's like once you're beating at this level over time, once people have the chips, well, then how do you grow? Sure, new chips, but what else? And I think that's when you get into the inference question and into this services business. My question, continuing from here, and it's not one that can be answered, is how fast does that grow off of the installed base? Because NVIDIA is going to be charging per GPU per year, right? Once Mm -hmm. you start getting a lot of GPUs out there, that number could grow substantially,
1: so could. Is AMD or Intel building out a similar type of software services business?
2: They are. The question is how durable is Nvidia's moat going to be because it got such an early start and because Jensen had this vision for what he wanted to be so early on. It's another thing if you're you know, playing catch up, right, and you have your software idea, that's great. Can their ideas be great enough and different enough from Nvidia that it fits into the workflow of these companies that are already getting started on CUDA.
1: Mm, time will tell. Meantime, this was a tide, a rising tide that lifted all boats, at least for the semiconductor stocks today. NVIDIA's halo effect took the whole market higher, leading to a Dow and an S&P record close. Joining us now, Interactive Brokers Chief Strategist, Steve Sosnick. Steve, last week, you were on our show. You warned viewers of the risk that Nvidia's earnings could derail the rally because the expectations were so high in the market coming into these results yesterday. What do you say now?
10: They they blew everything out. And this is, is actually quite the inverse, right? Because the numbers were so good, it drove the market higher. So, what what a you know this was this was a matter of risk management. We. We actually saw this call when I spoke to you last week. No one was talking about it. By yesterday, everyone was talking about the possibility that this could upset the apple cart for the entire market. And as a matter of fact, we saw NVIDIA fall 10% from the open on Friday to, the, to sort of just before the close yesterday when it had a little bit of a rally. So my feeling here is it, it's always you need to always stress test your models. You always need to pr- to manage your risks. And when you have insurance... You don't want your insurance to pay off. You actually, you know, you have fire insurance. You don't want, you're you're not upset that your fire insurance premium was wasted. And so this is why I think it's important. Um, it verified the premise that NVIDIA is all important to the market. Fortunately, the numbers from NVIDIA were so good, it brought the whole market up in its wake rather than down.
1: Is that a dynamic that you expect to continue based on trading activity you're seeing on the platform right now and, and all of your kind of metrics that you watch With NVIDIA now hitting a record high today, is this a dynamic where as NVIDIA goes, so goes the market, maybe even more greatly than 24 hours ago?
10: Absolutely. Um, You know, it's a little tough to to garner because I haven't seen the the end of the day numbers, you know, from our shop. Uh, But just these are these are the type of things that this is all everybody's talking about now. And it's brought, you know, brought up AMD in its wake. Among the most actively traded stocks are not only NVIDIA, which is, you know, sort of surpassed Tesla at our at our shop. But also, you know, we see people trading AMD, we see people trading SMCI, Um, all these stocks are moving along with NVIDIA it's a big halo effect. It is a lot of concentration. You know, Bob Pisani mentioned it earlier that we've seen this before. Unfortunately, you know, it, it works until you know. Sometimes these things unravel because, like, when when they when they end. But we're not at that point, certainly right now, because th- this verified the this verified the thesis uh, behind Nvidia and the AI enthusiasm that we're seeing.
2: How for you does the Palo Alto Networks move? Fit in. It also brought down Sentinel One, CrowdStrike, Zscaler. CrowdStrike and Zscaler both up better than five and a half percent today. Uh, presumably helping uh, helping to get lifted by Nvidia. So, um, th- does it say something about other stocks' presence and influence over the market versus Nvidia?
10: Absolutely, John. I mean, I think what happened was you know the Palo Alto story was was in many ways, bad for NVIDIA. One of the reasons that stock fell a couple, you know, over the la- earlier this week, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and I think that now, you know, NVIDIA sort of put this halo over basically all of tech today, um, but certainly anything that even could be remotely associated with AI. And so, you know, we, Palo Alto didn't, certainly didn't come anywhere close to getting back what it lost yesterday. But it, you can make a case that CrowdStrike might be on its own or certainly AMD um, you know, is brought up by NVIDIA, even though it's a direct competitor. So because Jensen Wong's story is about the, the, the market growing and growing in different ways. And of course, you would need cybersecurity if you're going to start to deal with AI in a, in, a, in a comprehensive way.
2: Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you. Showing so the risk. Speaking of Nvidia and Palo Alto, the overall growth trade. You can check out QR code there. This week's on the other hand newsletter, where I argue both sides of whether the growth stock narrative is collapsing, Palo Alto side or not, on the Nvidia side. Again, there's the QR code, or you can type in CNBC.com/otoh. Subscribe there. You can read both arguments, just like the captions. From Jensen's <laughs> interview <laughs> last night.
1: Well, up next, searching for opportunity. Start star technician Jonathan Krinsky is breaking down the charts, highlighting two under the radar parts of the market he thinks investors need to be watching. Over time, we'll be right back. Welcome back. The countdown is on for Intuitive Machines' Odysseus lander as it orbits the moon and prepares to touch down near the South Pole successfully. What's called a soft landing at 624 Eastern tonight. If it pulls off this feat, OD, as it's called, will become the first commercial spacecraft to ever land on the moon and the first from the U.S. in five decades since Apollo 17 in 1972. Stakes are high. Success rate? To soft land, it's only about 50%. On board, six NASA payloads and six private ones, including insulation material from Columbia Sportswear. The plan conduct tests for seven days before lunar night sets in and the spacecraft is put to sleep. Mission cost, $118 million. That's actually just a fraction of what a similar mission would have cost decades prior. Shares of intuitive machines, as you can see right there, are up about 13.5% here. In overtime after falling today, they've more than doubled since the launch just a week ago. Keep in mind, though, stock is still drastically off its highs from a year ago after it went public via SPAC. But it's trading right now just under that SPAC price when it did go public. I spoke with the CEO of Intuitive Machines before the launch last week, and you can scan the QR code on the screen right now. You can sign up for my podcast, Manifest Space. You can catch that entire interview, plus a new one that is out today with the director of space commerce that's focused on space regulation. So going to be watching that tonight, John, and covering it on last call, that yep. landing.
2: Looking forward to it. Now I'm thinking about goodnight moon because of lunar night and it going <laughs> to sleep. Uh, looking beyond now, big tech, while most people have been focused on the mega caps, Top technician Jonathan Krinsky is flagging two sectors where he sees opportunity right now, and he's going to make his case next on Overtime.
1: Welcome back. Record closes for both the Dow and the S&P today. The Nasdaq moving closer to one, as NVIDIA reported, much stronger than expected earnings results Yesterday, joining us now to discuss the rally and share where he is finding out opportunity outside of the mega caps is Jonathan Krinsky, chief market technician at BTIG. Jonathan, it's great to have you on the show. What do you like better than the Magnificent Seven and the, and the mega cap tech names right now, given the fact that they are continuing to power so much of this rally?
11: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to take your eye off uh, off that shiny object. Right. But, um, you know, two areas that we think and, and they're very small sectors in the S&P, so not a big weighting. Um, but that we think offer more timely opportunities, Uh, the first was materials. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of um, resources, they go immediately to energy. But materials, the XLB it would be the the sector ETF. Uh, It's been in a very wide trading range, just starting to break out, actually hit a new high today. So you have kind of this 18-month trading range that's just starting to poke its head out above that. That's the type of setup that you know can be early momentum, and we think um, that's that's an opportunity. You look at some of the chemical names like Dow and uh, Lyb, um, the chemical index really starting to break out in the last couple of days. So we think that's a you know a nice attractive opportunity. You also have the dollar rally starting to fade a little bit, and you know a, a moderating dollar should be a tailwind for for materials as well. Um, the second sector are the REITs and you know, they did very well off the October bottom when um, we, the market was thinking rate cuts were, were you know, being pulled forward imminently. They've since cooled uh, this year, they've kind of consolidated those gains as rate cuts have been pushed out. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's notable they've been actually holding in okay um, on, a, on a sector basis, despite the latest push-up higher um, on 10-year yield. So we think that's a, a slight bullish tell. And as we get, you know, closer to the spring and those potential rate cuts, I think, you know, REITs will, will kind of reassert themselves and provide some opportunity. And, you know, ultimately these are just okay. much more timely sectors than um, parts of technology, which have kind of just been straight up and to the right here.
1: Yeah. I mean, how much, though, when you talk about materials or REITs for that matter, how much of this hinges on an, on an economic environment that remains favorable, whether it's domestic or global?
11: Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why generally um, there's been this dispersion, and you know, small caps in general have not really, uh, the market hasn't trusted them to break out because there's still kind of this, uh, you know, what happens if, if the economy rolls over. And so, you know, I think as we get closer to those potential rate cuts, if, if, if they're cutting rates, because they can and not because they have to, that's probably a good economic backdrop, and that's where I think we'll get the acceleration. But again, you're seeing investors start to, you know, especially the materials are, like I said, they broke out today a bit. So um, I think money's starting to notice that, um, but that, you know, it's something you have to watch is that economic backdrop for sure. Jonathan, often in the past, the companies that were uh, big in the prior
2: era are ill-positioned for whatever is driving the next era of innovation. But in this case, as we look at AI and some of the related things, um, some of these big names, I- NVIDIA, of course, we've been talking a lot about, uh, Google, Apple, uh, Amazon, they seem to be positioned fine. So maybe there's a reason why these tech names and these large names are doing better and, um, and it's dangerous to get too far away from them. What's, what's your argument against that?
11: Yeah, look, I mean, they're, they've continued to do nothing wrong, and if you're, you know, a pure trend or momentum trader or investor, whether you're talking technicals or fundamentals, like, you know, the, the, the momentum is certainly there and it hasn't broken yet. Um, I think what concerns us a bit and, you know, gives us a little bit of pause, you know, if you look at something like the S&P 500 semiconductor index, for instance, that's now up 26% on the year. We're not even through February, and that's on the heels of last year's 97% gain. So that two-year cumulative gain, we're talking about a you know 123%. The only other time in history we've seen anything close to that was was um, 98, 99 when you had a 130% gain over two years. So you know we're we're you know hitting some historic milestones. As you said, there's you know there is some fundamental um, support for that, but I think you know some of these. Uh, Positions are just getting a little stretched, and then the other thing, if you look at semis relative to the S and P, that ratio, when it peaked in March of 2000, it just now is getting back to that all-time high peak. So on a on a relative basis, you know, it's come a long way. You know, even if it's not going to do what it did in 2000, I think just some pause consolidation is healthy, and that you know, hopefully, could allow some of those other sectors to to kind of reassert themselves.
1: Jonathan, the fact that this is typically seasonally, the second half of February, one of the weakest times of the year, and that's not how it's playing out, as we do talk about record highs for the major averages. Uh, is there a possibility that that starts to roll in here? Are we bucking a trend?
11: Yeah, I mean, the seasonal the seasonal pattern has, has worked very nicely over the last um, 12 to, to 16 months. You go back to last March, you had kind of a, a March washout. Then you had the, the rally into the summer, fall sell-off, rally into the end of the year. Um, and so we started off this back half of February earlier this week, and it was a little weak. And then obviously Nvidia um, pushed us to new highs. So I don't think that that means we're just gonna, you know, the all clear into the end of the month. But certainly, um, it could be could be a bit choppy. Mm. But it's also not, you know, the you know the 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 bad um, you know down three, four, five percent back half of February that we've seen in years past. At this okay. point, so I still think it's a little choppy. Um, but certainly AI is bucking the trend here. It is indeed. Jonathan Krinsky, thank you. Thank you.
2: Now let's take a look at some overtime movers. Intuit shares are in the red, but well after their overtime lows. You can see it there, down one and a third percent. That conference call underway. The company beat on revenue. Guidance was disappointing. Booking holdings also under pressure. That conference call also going on right now. CEO Glenn Fogel saying their business associated with Israel was significantly impacted by the war there. And, uh, Morgan, it's been a roller coaster week. And I mean, but really this time, right, especially that Palo Alto to NVIDIA dynamic after all of the macro data that we've seen.
1: Yeah, we did. We saw a lot of de-risking in the market ahead of the NVIDIA report, right? We certainly covered it. We talked about it with a number of guests. And then perhaps it, as Steve Sosnick just pointed out, sort of left us more spring-loaded for uh, a much better than expected result, which we got in NVIDIA after the bell yesterday, hence the stock shooting higher today.
2: Yeah, and it leaves a lot of people wondering, what do you do? But at least on a stock-by-stock basis, looking at those fundamentals, you can see uh, where – The market overall is going, just at that micro level. That's what we do here on Overtime.
1: Well, we're going to keep talking about chips, because tomorrow we have Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo joining us here on Overtime, too. That's exclusive. It's going to do it for us here at Overtime. Fast Money starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.